Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8? We're going to pick up in verse 31. John chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 31. We could say that in the first half of John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, Jesus preaches an illuminating sermon. And several people believe. Now Jesus gives them an exhortation. Jesus tells them what to believe. Now he tells them what to do. He tells them to continue believing. To continue abiding in God's word. And he tells them that it is a source of true freedom. True Christian freedom. So let's pick up that idea in our sermon in a sentence. Be free to enjoy Christ. Be free to enjoy Christ. Now let's pray and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, our very text says that if we abide in your word, that truly we will be your disciples. So help us, Father, to abide in this word. And I pray that this word would abide in us. That it may be the very joy of our steps. That it may be to us as, as wings to a bird, as sails to a ship. That it may be to us life. So Father, we ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to pick up in verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And I speak of what I've seen with my father. And you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
you were of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. From every pollster today to even our own very president, each have asked the same question. What is the greatest threat to democracy today? What is the greatest threat to our freedom? There's two ways of answering that question. George Orwell in 1984 talks about Big Brother, where they use external force and coercion to force people into subjugation. It's a very brutal and scary book to read. But then you have another one. It's by a man whose last name is Huxley. It's called A Brave New World. And it pictures freedom being robbed by the seductive touch of pleasure. They are enslaved by being given everything they want. Which one was the greater threat to freedom? We see in Exodus, Pharaoh's external oppression, the killing of children and the whipping of women could not snuff out their desire for freedom. However, an entire generation remained in bondage in the wilderness, begging for Egypt and dying in the wilderness because they remained in bondage to sinful desire. It was not the chains that enslaved them. It was their desire. And that same paradigm can be seen in every page of human history down to today. Shackles are real and you can see them, but they do not bind us quite as much as desire. As sin. Sin holds us very tightly. If we are to enjoy Christ today, we must first begin to understand what holds us in bondage. What holds mankind in bondage? So let me ask you a question. What are we freed from? What are we freed from? How would you answer that question? Ignorance? Force? Well, for Jesus, the answer is twofold. On the one hand, he says we're slaves to sin. He says whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, slave in our context is a very loaded term. And none of us find, would describe another human being as enslaved to sin. We say things like this. I'm my own man. 
I choose my own path, I make my own bed, and I lie in it. That's the attitude to which we come at life. And everyone who, who speaks thus, I issue a simple challenge. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. If you're your own man, stop sinning. How's that work out? It's almost as if every man born of Adam has a limp. Now, some people with the limp are kind of like a drunk. They can walk a few steps on the straight line, but only a few. After that, they begin to pitter and potter. All that does not proceed from faith is sin. All that does not have God as a goal in our life is sin. We may choose to be our own man, but we choose to live outside of God. We willingly choose to sin. And we can't stop. Sin is what we do. Every choice we make is an act of limitation. So this morning, we had breakfast. And you can only eat so much. So when I put eight strips of bacon on my plate, I limited myself to what I could and could not eat. By coming here, we've limited ourselves from going other places. Every choice implies a limitation. Sin is no different. When we go to the garden, we see that when Adam and Eve sinned, when they chose the fruit, they limited themselves so they could not choose God. They willingly chose to sin. And ever since then, we have been born with that same limp, that same corruption. Paul puts it pointedly. He says, The carnal mind is an imminent, a enemy to God. It cannot, cannot, not will not, cannot submit to God. That's strong language. John 8, 43 would be better written, You cannot hear my word. This is not a physical deformity. All the Jews have ears. It's a moral problem. They cannot hear. We see the same, we all experience the same thing. When you read in the book of Genesis, it's in uh, Genesis 37, it says, that Joseph's brothers could not speak peaceable to him because they hated him. Have you ever experienced that? You couldn't say, you couldn't say a nice word to save your life. It's not that your mouth stopped working. It's not that you didn't have a vocabulary. You had a moral inability because you hated them. Luther says that good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. Evil works do not make a wicked man, but a wicked man does evil works. We have an inability because we're enslaved to sin. So on the one hand, we have a sin problem. 
On the other hand, Jesus says, man is a son of Satan. That's powerful language. These are what you would call fighting words. When Jesus says, you are like your father, the devil. So you remember, we go back to the garden, and do y'all remember what a covenant is? A covenant is an agreement between two parties with certain obligations and promises. Satan offered mankind the promise to be like God. A man sealed the deal by eating of the fruit. And he swallowed down the fruit. He swallowed down an obligation to follow Satan. We see in Ephesians 2, 2, where Paul says that being dead in our sins, we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work, and the sons of disobedience. St. Augustine compares mankind to a horse. You can only have one rider. It's either God or the devil. And we see it in our passage. When Jesus begins to press them, look at how they rage against Satan. They rage against God's word just as Satan rages against God's word. They seek to kill Christ because they hate his word. And throughout the history of this world, there has been no institution attacked quite like the church. Jesus himself said, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. He didn't say they wouldn't try. If you want to read the three-volume books on the, on the gulag in Soviet Russia, what you will find is next to political prisoners, they imprison people just for being Christians. We've all seen images from the Middle East of men and women massacred for no other reason than being Christians. That man has assaulted the church with the rage of Satan. And along with his rage, Satan has embodied great subtlety. That he has sent false sons within the church who with subtlety and guile wage war against the saints. That's why Jesus commands them to abide in the word. Because he knows Satan and those like him do not abide in the truth. Satan knew the truth. And he refused to stand in it. Mankind knows God, but what does Paul say? We refuse to honor God as God. That we refuse to love his son. That we refuse to hear his word. Is this freedom? Is this the freedom that we have pictured for ourselves and our children? Allied against our creator and our God with the sworn enemy of our souls? to be shackled by sin and bound by Satan, to slave on the earth and be rewarded in hell, to feed our flesh and feast on fire? Is this freedom? Do we not all want the freedom to enjoy higher things, heavenly joys, to experience life on earth without the sense of guilt and shame, to have fruitful labor on earth, and fantastic rest in heaven. 
Do we not all desire to abide in the house of the Lord forever? And here we see man cannot stop sinning, nor is man adequate to defeat Satan. We cannot free ourselves. What we see is emancipation must come from a greater authority, from a greater power. Therefore, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How great our sin and sorrow that it took the Son to redeem us. There was once a famous painting in Europe and it was of a chessboard, and on one side of the chessboard was the devil, and he's grinning, and he's got this triumphant smirk on his face. And on the other side is this little boy, and he's sullen, and he just, he looks like he's had the pants beat off of him. And the painting's called Checkmate. Well, Paul Murphy, who used to be the American chess master, flew out to England, or to Europe, and he saw the picture, and he stared at it. And finally he said, I got it. Somebody bring me a chessboard. There's one move, only one move, but I can save the boy. In the same way, God looked down upon our problem, and he said, there's only one move. There's only one way for us to have freedom. And it come through his son. Though Satan holds dominion over humanity by the fear of death, though all mankind is subject to the curse of sin and corruption, Jesus took the form of a slave. He nailed sin and Satan to the cross. Death and the devil was disarmed. He put them to open shame. He triumphed over them with glorious power. He who was free took the form of a slave that we here who are slaves may begin to be free. What other name in heaven and earth can work such freedom? Name one person who could stop sin? One person who could triumph over Satan with his cruelty and his power. Name one other person. No one but the Son can set us free. And we will be free indeed. This is freedom. Where we are bound sin by sin and Satan... Where we could choose to sin and sin, no, and sin nonetheless. Now we have the freedom to freely choose what is good. To choose Christ. Now I want to ask a stupid question. What in the world do we do with this freedom? What do we do with this freedom? I love reading history of the Civil War period. You will find that many people who were in the South and others espoused an idea of gradualism because they said, well, if we free all these people tomorrow, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? These are people that have been enslaved for multiple generations. 
What are they going to do with freedom? That's a big question. We look at us. We've been enslaved from Adam and Eve. What in the world are we going to do with freedom? In the Civil War times, the people nor the head of state had any idea of what to do to, that, to answer that question. But when we look, the head of the church lays out for us two principles this morning. Christ says, If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <clears throat> Wait a minute, Jesus. We are free. How will we then future be free? What is the point of abiding if we've been free? Sons who have been set free forever abide in the word forever. Christians who persevere in freedom persevere in the world. Christ calls us to abide in the word because it's the very means of which he keeps us free. It's how he keeps us free. This abiding serves a twofold purpose. For one, it furthers the abandonment, the leaving behind, the casting off of our past identity. Jesus says the truth will set you free. Our own confession says that there remains in us a, a desire, a corruption, to choose both good and evil. We've all felt that tension, haven't we? That desire to do good and evil is right there. Now let's think of our lives. We've all come to faith in different times in our life. And how many of us have built our lives, our very identities, in very sinful ways? Slavery has been the source of our identity. Satan has organized our priorities. And sin has been our goal. These things do not change overnight. It's like remodeling a house. It's not going to get done yesterday. It takes time. Abiding in God's Word forces us to ask, what voice is speaking loudest in my life? What priorities are most important? What should my goals be? If we've been spending our life fearful of others' opinions, trying to build a picture-perfect family, for the end of public approval? Is that freedom? Do we think that will change overnight? If we have built a life prioritizing our pleasure, promoting purchasing power to the end of our selfish fulfillment, is that freedom? No. But is that mindset going to change overnight? It's not. Christ makes us free. Abiding in the Word gets us out of the rut. It loosens our chains. It unlocks our shackles. It releases us from those influences. So one, it abandons our past identity. Second, 
It gives us a new identity in Christ. It adds to our love for Christ. Where Satan hates the Word, the mark of a true disciple is a love for the Word. We love the written Word because it teaches us of the incarnate Word. It brings to us a familiarity with Christ. And where we are the most familiar, we're the most free. Let's think about driving. When you first learn how to drive, there's not a sense of freedom, is it? You're looking at everything. You're checking your gauges. You're reading every sign. There's a sense you can't enjoy it, can you? And neither can the person with you. But once you have become familiar with the car and with driving, I can drive home after service and not even know where I'm going. It just is autopilot. This man drives by my office twice a week and I don't even think he realizes he's a Raymond. That's what happens. Now we've built a life based on these sinful things and we're trying to, to build up our life in Christ. The more we abide in His Word, the more it becomes second nature to us. The more familiar we are, the more free we are. For us to enjoy freedom as sons, our identity must be reinforced and reaffirmed by the Word. It shapes how we think. It shapes our priorities. It shapes our life. It shapes how we look at ourselves, how we look at God, how we look at others. It strengthens us to do good. Because Christ, it frees us to do good because Christ has become familiar to us. So I ask in closing, what are we doing with our freedom? If you watch the U.S. Open, there's a young man named Francis. He's an American, born of an immigrant family from Sierra Leone. And he picked up tennis because his dad worked maintenance at the tennis court. And now he's one of the rising stars of the tennis world. He is experiencing a freedom his parents never knew. And he is maximizing that freedom. Doing things they could not even imagine. Now I look at us with our freedom. Are we exercising our freedom in Christ? True Christian freedom is the freedom to abandon sin, to pursue holiness, to enjoy Christ. This is true Christian freedom. Above that door does not say the words, Thou shalt not. Above that door is written the words, Free to enjoy Christ. Free from sin and Satan. Free to godliness. Free to live as God intended. Free, free, free. Christian, we are free. What are we doing with our freedom? Well, let us pray. Almighty God, 
the scariest thing of sin and Satan are they are shackles we cannot see. They are ruts we pay no attention to. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would search me, search all of us and know us. See if there is any grievous way in us and lead us to the way of life everlasting. Help us, Heavenly Father, to enjoy the freedom that is both given and modeled by Christ. That we may have his joy, that we may see his glory, that we may be with him where he is. Father, we ask these things today in Christ's name. Amen.